Bitcoin fixes the money, the Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. Here we are tonight with LC Hotto of Blue Collar Podcast, and we have Econo Alchemist with us again. We uh, all three got together tonight to do some discussions, and uh, I've got a pretty good list here, and I, I think it's going to be a pretty good discussion as well. Moving forward a couple of times, we're going to have some other people join us in the future. LC, how are you doing? Excellent. Glad to be here, Slim. Thank hey, you. Hey, good to talk to you again. Econo, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we tried to do this podcast and we had uh, Lily on here as well. And about six minutes in, I think we, uh, my internet completely crashed for like a day. And uh, you guys kept on talking. So maybe we can have some release tapes at some time. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. That'd be kind of cool. What have you been up to, Econo? Man, staying busy. Um, you know, as you know, I've got that shipping container that I got dropped in my backyard and I've been trying to build out a one petahash Bitcoin mine in there and, uh, you know, just kind of navigating what it means to get a new service installed with the utility company and like going through their tariffs and figuring out rates and contracting with the electricians. There's, there's a lot of moving pieces and it's like a really slow process. Um, I originally submitted my application the first week of November, you know, here we are going towards the middle of February now. And, um, you know, I, I can really start to understand why big mining operations are having a lot of trouble getting hash power online right now, uh, because of like all the like supply chain bottlenecks, logistics, bottlenecks, like just getting your hands on parts and then dealing with contractors and trying to get them scheduled and coordinate all of them together. Dude, it's a nightmare. And I'm just one tiny little micro operation. I can't even imagine trying to do this at scale, but um, you know, it gives me a lot of good insight as to like the kind of the landscape that everyone else is probably dealing with out there as well. Man, that's some good information. Whenever you're going through that process, are you um, are you really because do- you you document? We know that. <laughs> are you really <laughs> are you really uh, keeping track of this? So I mean, you can leverage everybody can leverage that in the future. Just saying, hey man, this is what you're going to go through. Watch out. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm I'm documenting my whole process, and you know, I'm, I'm working with some other people. There's a dude on Twitter named uh, Bitcoin Baseload B A S S load. And he, um, you know, he does this for a living, like, but for the big mines, for the big companies, he, he like is that liaison between them and the utility providers. And so as I'm like stumbling through this process, trying to figure it all out, I'm documenting everything and, and thinking about what can be done to make this easier for the the next people that, that try to do this after me. And, you know, so I'm thinking about making this like indexing tool. That's like a map of North America. That's got like, you click on your location and it shows you who the utility provider is and it shows you what their tariffs are because the utility companies don't advertise these tariffs and you have to like 
search the like dark corners of their website to find these tariffs. It's all public information, but no one volunteers that information. And so like my provider, I found a 240 plus page PDF that outlines like every kind of possible power consumption situation an individual or business could be in. And every one of them's got a different rate. And so what you do is you comb through there and find the appropriate rate for what your situation is. And then you call the power company and say, Hey, I want to be on this rate designation. And then they'll work with you and do that. But like just getting through to the right person at the company or just even finding that tariff to begin with can be a total labyrinth. So, you know, one thing I want to do is, is kind of use the painful parts of this experience to make those tools so that the next person that comes along to do it has a resource that makes it a little bit easier for them. Man, I think you, you, we're going to come back to that because what you just said, um, I'm very familiar with happening in the processing industry um, here in Texas. And we're, we're really uncovering, you know, the, the bottlenecks and the lack of information or coordination without, with being able to find that information. So we're trying to pioneer something exactly like that. So I'm going to come back to that um, cool. here in a little bit. Elsie, awesome. what's been your, uh, your experience with doing anything, kind of the way you've approached the mining as far as the individual, just, to, you know, for the residential yeah, so that So I've had... Uh, and I've talked to Econo about it quite a bit. Um, I mean, I've been faced with the same issues that Econo has been going through, right? I, uh, I got that mine that I've been building in my yard for, oh man, I've probably been working on it since October. Mm-hmm. I think I got the building situated in October. Um, but you know, my, my utility company won't give me, won't tell me what my rate will be until the service is in. They won't even negotiate the rate until the service is in. So I've been saving to put the service in because they want $2,800 to bring a 200 amp service separate from my house into that mine because I'm trying to do the same thing that Econo is doing. I'm trying to put a pet of hash in my yard. And uh, it's been it's been an event back and forth. Like, you know, when I – utility companies are not used to dealing with homeowners, at least on the engineering side. Uh, they're much more used to dealing with contractors. So my experience thus far has been, I went through a bunch of headaches trying to get a hold of their engineering department to get somebody to come out and take a look at it. Uh, it just so happens, which I've talked to you slim about this guy before, but my next door neighbor has a 40 acre farm, but he's also a licensed electrician. Uh, I've known him my whole life, right? He's on the town council. So I went over and I knocked on his door and I'm like, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I brought a miner with me, like in a bag. I was like, this is what I'm trying to do. I need to plug a bunch of these in. This is what I need. And he's like, all right, get me your customer ID number and write down exactly what you want to do. And he called. And since he's in touch with these people all the time, he literally got an appointment in like a day. They were like, yep, no problem. We'll come down and meet you. They were giving me a hard time. I told them how much power I needed. They said, you'll never use that much power. He met with the same guy, told him how much power I needed. The guy's like, yep, no problem. This is what we'll do. It's unbelievable how, how they won't even give you the time of day as a homeowner. Like, and the people that you can get on the phone don't deal with any of that. All they deal with is like, my power is out at my house or I want to pay my bill. 
That's all they're capable of doing. Outside of that, they're like, you need to talk to uh, an engineer, and we only have one engineer in such and such a region, and he's really busy. Because construction's crazy right now, right? Everybody's been locked down. And this is something else I've noticed, even building this, like everybody's been locked down for two years or the economy at least has been a mess for two years, right? So trying to schedule anything construction related, I'm not even having something built. I'm just trying to get a service brought in is insane. It's so insane that my electricity provider, when they quoted me to put that service in, said the quote was good for eight months because that's how long it will take them like from t- from the time the check hits their hand, that's how long of a window they give themselves to come put it in. Whoa. You know, and the, the thing about it, it is a national problem. You know, you can tie it to so many things right there. Um, one thing about it, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. And it's only going to probably get a lot worse. And I mean, we're starting to see some things, you know, happen out there right now as far as progress but you know the the bottlenecks that actually hinder us right now those are the ones that are probably being destructed on purpose as far as you go into an energy company and you try to get customer service i mean that first level of tier one support is you know pretty laughable and they don't have the intelligence to facilitate any type of protocol of communication to help like you said the household out so you know, that's something to be very aware of. It's it's things that aren't discussed enough saying, okay, this is how you're going to really have to approach this because we do a lot of surface level talking, you know, through Twitter and everything like that. But it's time to get below the surface a little bit. And, you know, I think this communication that we're doing today, this is kind of getting a little bit, we're bearing down a little bit. I mean, what do you think, Econo? Yeah, it's, dude, it, it's a nightmare. And I, ex- I experienced the same thing LC Hoddle experienced, like, I talked to someone at, I call the power company because there's only one number to reach out to. And the person there that I get a hold of doesn't even know that like tariffs in their own company exist, you know? And so, like you said, you just, you get a hold of the right person and, and they know exactly who to talk to. They know exactly what to say. And unless you know what that magic formula is, like, dude, you're going to be working uphill both ways. It's just, it's just insane. And, and I think to your point about like how some of these bottlenecks seem intentional, like, like absolutely. I I think you'd have to be insane not to, not to see like the, how the economy is being systematically shut down. And um, I agree, dude, I think it is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Um, and the more, people can be informed, then I think the the better choices they're going to make with that information. And the more people can move toward that decentralized sovereign landscape, you know, whether that comes to their money or to growing their own food, you know, and 3D printing their own guns, like those three combined, like you got the muscle, you got the money, you got the membership, if you can build a community and make uh, some good networking contacts around you, like, yeah, man, it, the future is decentralized. Well, it, it, I mean, there's no question about it. You're just, you're seeing it even in mainstream a little bit and people are really starting to say decentralized. They're, they're paying attention to it because it was a pretty, just a blanket word that nobody put any depth into. But once you start getting people that understand truly what centralization is, then they really 
attach themselves to decentralization as far as, you know, a possibility of how to live their life. And that's what I've been talking about within the food industry. You know, it's not that difficult. Look back, look back over your shoulder, you know, a generation or two, and you're going to find some really kick-ass decentralization. And, you know, that type of uh, mindset, and, you know, it, it creates a mindfulness, you know, that a lot of people aren't used to doing. And then that's fine. It's a level of critical thinking. I think a lot of society has lost, but once we can kind of look over our shoulders and look at that mindfulness, you know, it creates a protection, you know, that you, you, you feel sovereign, you feel individual, you feel like a strong individual. And once we have that strong individual, I mean, that's when the communities really start. That's when we really start connecting and we start building out those nodes and those nodes of uh, networking abilities. I was down in Austin this last weekend and man, I had a kick-ass time down there. There's some people down there that are really connecting. I've probably met five people that I've talked to every day since I've been back we're building stuff, we're facilitating things, and it's not that hard. It's just, we've got to get out there and have that mindset. How about you, LC? You've been talking to some good people? Yeah, always. I mean, first, I kind of want to jump back to what you were saying about, um, kind of had one more thing to add there, about everything kind of being planned and, and the bottlenecks and, um, so in dealing with this service provider, um, I've hit three rate hikes in the last three months for my house. Um, so I was trying to find a way to make the mine sensible, right? So they have this program where you can sign a contract and lock a rate in, right? You sign a contract saying guaranteeing I'm going to use X amount of power. So they guarantee such and such a rate for a set amount of time, whether it be six months, a year. Uh, the only contract they are offering right now is 36 months long, and the rate is 32 cents a kilowatt hour. So they already know where the price of power is going, right? They're already telling you that three years from now, your residential rate is going to be 30 cents. Huh. This So the whole idea that it's like reflective of oh well you know such and such a happened so the price went up or you know climate impact so we have to raise it they're raising incrementally like they're doing to me right now but they already have three years of incremental raises planned out because otherwise you would think they would just lock me in five cents above where it's at right now and say yep you're guaranteed for three years no 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 three years out 32 cents a kilowatt hour that's insane. Insane. So it is 100% planned. And it is 100% definitely going to get darker before the light. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, they are going to turn up the heat. They are going to do everything they can to make you a subservient of the powers that be. And, and they're the ones with all that critical information that's needed to make the, the smart choices for a better future like and we need to get that information out to everybody so they can be better informed and make better decisions about what their next step is going to be exactly yeah it's a form of check and balance system that you got to take responsibility of as an individual 
I mean, you can't expect anymore. You can't be a rent seeker on this. You can't, you have to be very, have a, have a huge sense of agency to say, okay, I'm going to dive way deep into this shit. And it kind of pisses me off that I'm having to do it, but you know, get ready. Here we come. And once everybody can lock into that type of uh, mindset, you know, that check and balance is going to start happening in, in those smaller networks. And it, it does, it becomes a trend of, you know, Hey, we're making some change here. People kind of do come along and, you know, we're seeing it in everything as far as, you know, is, is what you guys are very good at. And, um, like with what I'm doing in the food, I'm, I'm starting to see hints of it. It's a good direction yeah, to be going. And well, the thing you don't you don't there's no marketing involved it you just sense it it's it's kind of an instinct that you start picking up on because you're you're surrounded by it every day and all of us that's all we do with our minds all day long i mean anything in everything we're trying to make our lives more sovereign uh we're we're you know low time preference we're you know we're thinking about stability we're thinking about you know bringing our our family some joy and some peace of mind and some hope and uh, so it's not hard to do, but once you can sense it and you could start seeing it, it, it is an internal motivation that I pick up on. And I'm seeing in a lot of different people that I've never met before. And I can sit down and I can have a conversation with them and we can talk for eight hours and it's easy. I can tell you this too. I think, and this is just my opinion, but I think this is why you will see far more success on the pleb uh, individual end of things than you will on the at scale end of things. Because when you have, and I'm just going to use mining as an example, but this applies across the board, right? When you have something like a large at scale mining operation, right? That has something like VC backing, you don't really need to do what me and Econo were just talking about, right? You don't really need to dig and try to find, Econo talked about digging through 250 something pages to find the tariffs to make it work, right? You do that because your life, right? Your quality of life quite literally depends on it, right? When you're, when you're a pleb or an individual person, right? You're, you're dependent upon how diligent you are with your setup. When you're a large scale operation, they just throw money at the problem right? Throwing money at the problem is not a sustainable business model. It looks really good in the short term, right? It, it gives you a really shiny logo. It gives you great marketing. It makes you, you know, you can hire some people with some silver tongues that sound really good, but stretch that out over five years. And 10 out of 10 times, I would put my money on somebody like Econo coming out in far better fashion than a big operation like that. Because a big operation like that they just get more funding, right? Every good business, you know, good business owner that knows how to skirt certain areas knows that at the end of the year, you really kind of want to make like a dollar in profit and, and you want to be able to write off the rest, right? So that view is very different from somebody that's an individual that is saying, you know, my kids, especially somebody like Econo who has like, committed his life to, to this Bitcoin thing, right? His kids eating and his roof staying over his head is dependent on the amount of diligent research he's willing to do, right? He can't just call accounting and be like, hey, sorry, we lost money, set up another meeting with the funds. It doesn't work like that. 
Right. And, and it, it seems to me like the, the bigger these companies get, the more they're funding themselves by selling equity in their companies. And when you do that, you're like further ingraining yourself into that legacy system. And, and especially these, these Bitcoin centric companies, the further they're ingraining themselves into these, into the fiat legacy system. And the more that happens, I see it as opening themselves up to uh, being responsible to investors and answering to them, uh, being a target to regulators. And if and when things change and the regulations change and they really start clamping down on like Bitcoin mining companies specifically, like these big players are not going to have the tenets of censorship resistance at the forefront of their decision making. They're going to do whatever the regulators want them to do so that they can satisfy the investors who have put all that capital in, into the company. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think a really obvious, uh, simple example of that is something like, uh, you're not allowed to mine unless you provide KYC information in order to mine. Right. Right. Yeah. So that, that looks like, you know, when you're an individual, you have a way, you have ways, many ways that you can kind of skirt around that, right? But when you're dealing with, when, if you have, say, a minor hosted, right? If you have a minor hosted, then that regulation comes down the pipeline. That company just unplugs your ASIC until you're willing to give them the information they need to plug your ASIC back in. Right. And they, I, I think it's, it's not a stretch of the imagination to see that, um, they they will regulators will try and classify Bitcoin mining companies as Bitcoin mining pools specifically as um, as money transmitters. And you know when that happens, like that opens them up to being legally required to carry a license in every state that they're operating in, posting surety bonds, and then like and they're getting that license from Fent or they're getting the um, the rules that they have to comply with at that point are dictated by FinCEN, the Financial uh, Crimes Enforcement Network. And and that's that's where all the KYC regulations are coming out of. So I, th I think that's a really slippery slope. And I, I do see that as a potential way that Bitcoin could be cornered, Bitcoin could be captured if there's not enough people willing to stand up and take hash power into their own hands. You know, Galaxy Digital just released a report last month that said they anticipate 45, as much as 45% of Bitcoin's hash rate being controlled by publicly traded mining companies by the end of this year. So when I think about 45% of the hash rate in the hands of companies that are very likely going to have to comply when these regulations clamp down, you know, are they, they're not going to be thinking about censorship resistance. They're going to be thinking about keeping their business open. And so what's going to go by the wayside for the rest of the network? I think you're going to see a heavy, and this probably is not a popular uh, view on it, but I think at some point in the next five years, you're going to see a heavy drop in hash rate at some point where these big publicly traded companies are running into blockades. Um, the problem with all this regulation is 
if a company controls, let's say, 10% of the network hash, right? A publicly traded company. And that publicly traded company gets hit with some kind of a regulation that says you have to do A, B, and C. But in order to do A, B, and C, they have to shut down everything they have plugged in until they can comply. Now you're going to see massive fluctuations in hash rate. And I, I don't know. It's it's uh, it, it can be overwhelming to look at the whole thing and think, you know, what difference can can we make? But, you know, a lot of individuals uh, composed together can make a big difference because it can be disheartening when you see things like Marathon Patent Group ordering, you know, millions. I think it, I can't remember the exact uh, number. Maybe Econo does. But I think it was a couple hundred million dollars worth of the new S19 XPs, like signed a contract with Bitmain. This is what they're buying. It's just massive amounts of hash power. Yeah. I Go ahead, Slim. Yeah, I, one thing that um, somebody brought up in Austin, and you guys will speak to this, it, continuing the conversation, but I want to bring up, uh, somebody brought up, you know, the, the what is the code about confiscation of gold? It was like 612. 6102. 6102, yeah. yeah. How do you see that as a possibility with these miners moving forward? And, you know, how are they going to leverage that in a way or, you know, get them, getting the legal involved into it as far as regulations and everything? Are there people out there pursuing that? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think if there is a 6102 style confiscation attempt, it's going to come, uh, the, the, the first level of attack is going to be at the on and off ramps, like the exchanges. And so if you have, if you haven't taken self custody of your Bitcoin and you're trusting a third party custodian with that, then in the event of a 6102 style, type confiscation, the government would just go to that exchange and say, hey, turn off the withdrawal button, like game's over, um, shut it down. And no more, no more Bitcoin is going to move off of those exchanges into the hands of individuals. And, you know, at that point, they could, the you know, there's a few different angles, like the government could say like, okay, you can only withdraw $100 worth of Bitcoin into your own custody once a year or once a month. And any Bitcoin that you have held on the exchange, we're going to trade you. We're going to take that because the exchange has it. So it's ours now. We're just going to take that. And we'll give you the equivalent in our new uh, central bank digital currency. You know, they could do like, they could make the people feel like they're getting something for uh, the exchange of their Bitcoin, or they could just say like pound sand, it's ours now. Like you're not, you're not. Well, I mean, it. you just start. Oh, sorry. I kind of go ahead. Um, you know, and so as, as far as like the miners, then it's like, then they would look at the, the miners that they do have control over. So like the publicly traded ones who are influenceable by regulators and they would say to them, you know, don't, mine any transactions that are on this OFAC style list, you know? So if, if any, if, if, if there's an address out there that hasn't been verified and certified through these regulations to be allowed to hold Bitcoin, then we don't want you to mine any blocks with those Bitcoin transactions in it. And if that happens, then you've got as much as like 45% of the network hash rate following that um, Galaxy Digital report 
estimate for the end of this year, you've got 45% of the hash rate that's like, okay, we're not mining those transactions. So what that means is the 55% of the network that's still using Bitcoin the way it's supposed to be ran with censorship resistance and not blocking transactions, the those transactions are going to take, you know, 45% longer to get through because now you've got 45% of the network that's not allow it that's not including those transactions in a block i don't think yeah absolutely i don't think any like 6102 style i don't think any state actor i don't think any team of state actors can stop bitcoin i i think it is unstoppable because it is decentralized you'll never stop it i think they could slow it down if if things got really crazy but i don't think they'll ever stop it yeah i mean they could definitely slam the brakes on but I mean, you know, things like we just saw with um, with the AOPP yep. attempt to integrate AOPP is really, I mean, that was, when I saw that, the first thing I thought was a 6102, right? This right. is the first step. Yep. This is how we start verifying. And we get, we do it in a fashion where wallets uh, and signing device companies that have uh, respect um, and a reputation in the in the scene of Bitcoin are you know uh, voluntarily integrating this into their into their software. Um, you know, I, I was it was a very proud day to watch the community come together and be like, no, we don't want that. And you know, everybody who said they were going to integrate it, I believe everybody who said they were going to integrate it. Um, you know, came out in less than 24 hours and said they weren't going to integrate it. Yeah, I think the only one left, the last man standing was that Raleigh exchange or Raleigh Bitcoin wallet or whatever. I don't even know if I'm saying yeah, it right. Yeah, it's yeah, like the, the Swiss company wallet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, you, it, that that's not the point of, uh, of Bitcoin. And to kind of address the question that you asked, Slim, I mean, to put it simply something like a 6102 is irrelevant if Bitcoin is used in the fashion that it was meant to be used, which is a peer-to-peer -peer right. network, right? So if, we're, if, if you're using it as a peer-to-peer -peer network and, you know, if you build enough of a community around yourself, you will always have somebody in your network that wants to buy Bitcoin and you will always have somebody in your network that wants to sell Bitcoin. So both of those bases should be covered. Right. There, there's definitely services out there, you know, peer to peer exchanges and all that stuff. But the point of me saying that is if Bitcoin is being used the way Bitcoin was intended to be used, 6102 is a non-issue. As soon as you start adding in things that are at at the mercy of and under the pressure of regulators, then it becomes a very real issue. That's a good point. In, in talking about the Bitcoin community, how detached are we as a group, as a whole? Uh, <clears throat> the ones that are very active within Bitcoin, Twitter and stuff like that. How are we as far as a, a cohesive, you know, understanding of everything that we're talking about if we're not? I mean, 
what's the best way for people that are just getting into Bitcoin to kind of really understand, you know, how to approach it from the very beginning, kind of the source of the seed of the information that you need to get to. Where's the best place right now that we can really start coming and having a consensus maybe of effort that, you know, we're, we're talking in the same language instead of FUD, instead of people, you know, uh, attacking each other and all that. What, what do you guys see as far as improving? I mean, I, I think one of the the first things that really helps someone understand the value proposition of Bitcoin and why it's a problem solver for them is if they can understand what the issues are with fiat currency. And it's like it's like one of those things where once you see it, you can't unsee it. And that's why I really like that WTF nineteen seventy one website mm-hmm. or. Yeah, you, you for know sure. the website I'm talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. I refer to a lot of it, and whenever I was writing the newsletter, the Substack, and everything. Yeah, I I think that's a great resource to point people to. Like, just when you have a half an hour to spare, just sit down and just read some of the stuff on that website and start to understand what's wrong with fiat currency and what has changed, and just look at some of these trends that have transpired in the trajectories that we're on right now. And then like, you know, once that seed grows in their mind, like th- then it's a lot easier to, to start talking about what a censorship resistant, permissionless, peer-to-peer electronic cash can, what kinds of problems that can really solve in your life. And I think, you know, just in general, like I think people who have had hardships in their lives tend to understand the value in that a lot better than um, people who have done well with the legacy system. So, you know, your message may fall on deaf ears if you're talking to somebody who has never had a problem and with the financial system and, and the legacy system has worked out well for them their whole lives. But it's like the people who have like had their wages garnished Um, the people who have been turned away from banks and not been able to get access to banking services, the people who have had banking services and had that, the rug pulled out from underneath them because the activities they were doing with their own money weren't aligned with the moral standards of the financial institution they were wrapped up with and they had their accounts shut down or like even the people who have had like loved ones in their lives that have addiction problems and they're using dark net markets to do whatever it is they need to do to just get by to the next day. And, you know, if if it's the people who've had those hardships and those kinds of hardships that like really understand the value in being able to transact peer to peer whenever you want for what any, for whatever reason you want, and not having that any third party in that transaction to stop it. Well, you look what just happened in Canada with the truckers. I mean, you don't have to look very far of them basically confiscating money that was meant for good intention. And they, of course, demonized it. And now they confiscated it. I, I haven't even paid attention to it. What, what's the turnaround on that? Have you, have you guys heard? Where's that money that, what was it, $9 million? And then... Um, Go ahead. I heard uh, uh, GoFundMe originally was going to just confiscate that money and then distribute it to like 
other charities. And then they backpedaled on that and just issued refunds to everybody who had donated to the trucker cause. And like, since then, I think I saw a note today that, um, over 10 Bitcoin had been raised for Mm -hmm. the truckers. Yeah. I think it's over 10 now. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, that, that's, I mean, it's, it's like you celebrate it. It's like, thank you. (laughs) Another case for Bitcoin. Well done. Right. Yeah. It's any publicity is good publicity. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, just keep, keep doing that for the time being. And every time you do it, you know, tally coins going to come out. There's going to be new innovation. You know, the more you prohibit us, the more innovation will happen. Right. How about you, LC? What's your thoughts on that? I mean, so as far as uh, people who are, I'm a, I'm a simple country boy, right? So um, (laughs) I knew me and Akana were going to differ on this, right? It's, it's, uh, and I want to say this, it's, it's really hard to follow Akano. Like when, when somebody asks a question and he gets the answer and you're like the whole time, you're like, I'm going to come up with something. Um, (laughs) but I, I knew we were going to differ a lot on this question. Right. Cause, um, that's why we're here for me. Right. So for me, um, there's a book, uh, that anybody can get through Amazon, uh, Kindle, whatever. Um, written by i don't even know if he puts his real name on the book i know his twitter handle is dirgigi uh but the book is 21 questions i believe is the name of the book is 20 what 21 answers something like that anyway um it's a pretty short read and it's pretty dense with the information that like gets you quote unquote hip to what people are talking about when you're around people who are talking about bitcoin why Bitcoin is valuable, what problems Bitcoin solves, and kind of, you know, gently touches on the issues of fiat. Um, I've read quite a few books on Bitcoin, and that was by far the easiest read. Uh, It's, you know, it's really concise, really to the point, really well put together. Uh, Gigi's a character, but it's really well put together. Um, You know, but like Akano was saying, I mean, it's not a hard... Um, if you come from, you know, a roughneck background, like I do, I know a lot of people in Texas do, it's, it's, uh, it's really easy to understand the issues that it solves. Being a small business owner, it's really easy to understand the issues that it solves, right? I have, I have many, not many months, but I have a few months every year where cash flow isn't optimal, right? And where we're kind of breaking even right? The slower time of the year. And I think, you know, that's, that's a pretty common thing for small businesses. And, you know, my, my great uncle opened our business in 1950. So I can't tell you how much, no exaggeration, probably millions of dollars that have been paid by me, my father and my, my ancestors to the legacy system in, uh, maintenance fees for an account. Right. It just so happens that I had to pay the bills and it's the end of the month and my balance in my bank account is six dollars. Right. I'm not in the negative. I'm not overdrafting or stealing from myself. Right. And then that one month hits 
and that thirty dollars surcharge because my balance isn't at least five thousand isn't at least five thousand dollars, right? Every single month, or every month that we have a slow month, right? Stuff like that that can be so easily fixed by something like Bitcoin, right? If I don't have it, I can't spend it. That I don't. I I take personal responsibility like I do for like we were talking about before, a lot of things in our lives when we're not of wealthy standard, right? You have to take a next level of responsibility for your life. So if you can take that same ethos and apply it to your finances, I can't spend money I don't have. I don't have to, I'm not paying anybody else to watch my money for me, right? It's instant cash settlement on the other end in 10 minutes right around there, right? So when I look at my balance, my balance is actually my balance. What a crazy thought. Right. As opposed to them telling me there's money in my account and then I swipe my card six minutes later, something clears from three days ago and I don't have that money. Yep. There's so many silly little things like that, right? The, the fiat system, when you start to look at it, when you see Bitcoin and understand what Bitcoin is, it's then far easier to turn and look at the fiat system and say, wow, this thing is so broken. It's literally bubblegum and popsicle sticks and rubber bands holding it together at this point. It's uh, <laughs> it reminds me being in Austin this weekend and I was around some, you know, some ranchers. I was around coal with KNC and we've been talking Bitcoin and everything. And we had some pretty deep discussions and um, there was a time, I think it was in Marty's. Uh, yeah, it was in Marty's uh, podcast. And I said, you know what, when you get a rancher that's been doing this for four generations and you sit him down and you educate him and you you know that he knows every manipulation that the government's throwing at him, the chemical companies that they're throwing at him, everything that he has to deal with on an hourly basis with commodities and futures. I said, you sit down, you know, sit somebody and, and, and he has a light that comes on that whenever he understands what Bitcoin can do for you, you want to talk about some innovation that's about to hit our food supply <laughs> and how they're going to leverage the shit out of that awareness and that clarity that they just had because they deal with it just like you talked about, Elsie, hourly. And they're, they're getting sick of it as well. And they're really looking, you know, into Bitcoin. And this is going to be a fun year to see a whole new group of people get into Bitcoin. And it's going to have to do with something, you know, as far as food, you know, our nutrition, our protein and everything. I saw that this weekend. And what you just said made me think of that. Yeah. And it's I had a moment uh, last week where I got to see the light come on for my father. Right. My father still works for me, um, was his business prior to it being my business. Right. And uh, he had a moment where the light came on. He got a registered letter from the state. Now, mind you, my father's been making holes in the ground for 35 years. Right. He got a registered letter from the state. They sent him a three thousand dollar fine because he didn't pull a permit to put a well in in a town in Rhode Island. Now, the state of Rhode Island does not require a permit to put a well in but this town decided to pass their own uh code in that town that says you need a permit but nothing was ever sent out so we went out and we did this well and he just got this thing in the mail saying now he owes the state three grand they, because he didn't pull a permit to put this hole in they literally just make this shit up on the fly dude it's disgusting yeah it, it, and he was like this is insane 
he's like the fun the funny uh not the funny part but like the scary part is they the letter that they sent him says that it the code was put into place in 2019 we've probably drilled 50 wells in that town between now and 2019 he's like if they hit me for every well from 2019 till now like we're out of business that that'll literally kill our business so you know you're talking a year's worth of income in fines it's just insanity insanity and it's the i heard today too that you know to kind of tie into the food thing that slim was talking about you know i i deal with uh, my business is drilling residential water wells, right? We install so you can have water on your property. Um, the town next to mine, some of the town has artesian wells and some of the town has town water. Uh, they just passed something two days ago at a town meeting that says even if you have an artesian well on your property, they're going to put a meter on it and charge you for the water coming out of the ground. Yeah. <laughs> So they're literally just trying to put a choke point on our business. They're they're trying to say, you know, you're going to have to pay no matter what. So why bother having your own well? Which is why bother having your own well? Because how are we going to fluorinate your well? And how are we going to add all this stuff that you shouldn't be taking in right. into your well? It's much easier for us to do it on the public supply. So if we make it really unattractive to drill your own well, then you're just going to cave, you know, convenience, right? Sure. Right. You know, that's pretty amazing that, you know, everybody kind of hints about, you know, they're going to attack the water supply and how they're going to leverage, you know, rules and regulations against the water supply. I think it's really starting to probably going to start happening um, and try to get to where they can get as much federal into our water supplies as as far as a nation and really tie to national security and terrorism and everything that they're going to be, you know, but they're experimenting with uh, water right now, filtration systems. And this will be a different discussion at a different time. That's it's pretty scary as shit to tell you the truth. So um, I think we'll start here in the conversation of water this year, for sure. That, w- that was one of the things that we looked at when we moved out of the city. So for any of your listeners that aren't aware, I know you guys know, but uh, late last year, we, moved out of a major metropolitan area out to the country. And that was one of the things that we looked at was how is the water treated out there? And we picked a place that does not fluorinate their water. There's no fluoride used in the water treatment process here. That's something people don't understand how important and how difficult it is to get a good glass of water. Right. And people think simple things like, you know, I get the same shocked face every time I tell a customer this, right? I've held a glass of water in my hand that looks like pond water and it was safe to drink. And I've held a glass of water in my hand that was crystal clear and looked like Poland Spring and would make you violently ill if you drank it. Mm. So the idea that you can just, you know, oh, that looks okay. Right. You know, there's me and Slim talk about it all the time. There's, a reason why you hear a lot of the old time sayings that you hear, right? There's an old time saying that goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And a lot of people take a lot of interpretations out of that. Right. But the, the, where that came from is a horse will not drink water that isn't safe to drink. So if the horse goes down and drinks out of the stream, you know, you can drink that water and it's safe to drink. 
simple things like that are going to become so incredibly value, valuable moving forward. To have that old time knowledge of things like that, things when it comes to a homestead, things when it comes to even privacy. Right. When you, you look at the way I look at the way that my grandfather operated, right? My grandfather didn't buy something new and go all around town telling everybody about what he bought. Right. He didn't buy something flashy. So you would think that he had money. There was a reason these people lived the way that they lived. There was a reason, you know, mattress money was a thing. They didn't trust the banks either. Right. Some somewhere in between the 30s and today, we decided that it was a good idea to trust the banks again. Right. After the Great Depression. I don't know why we decided to do that, but there's a reason that our grandparents, when you look back, didn't trust the financial institutions. It was access to debt. I mean, that's why it was. I mean, the common man, you know, was sold a bill of goods that you don't need to save money anymore. You need to build debt and leverage it in a way and we'll let you know how good you are. I mean, I saw it as a child. I saw it in the 70s that that's what they did across the nation. And 70s led to the 80s. 80s led to uh, savings and loan industry debacle. And you you just saw the debt keep on stacking on top of it itself. And that's what changed for me in my lifetime, you know, looking back now, because I was very, very young in the 70s, but I can look back at the gas shortages and everything they did was based on debt in the 70s because of the petrodollar. Me and my wife were laughing about it the other day, talking about, um, so my, my stepfather's father, right? Mm-hmm. He was a, he was a carpenter that was, uh, he actually fought in World War II. He was in the Philippines. And when he came back from the war, he was a carpenter. And uh, my stepfather used to tell me all the time that he he remembers him bringing home $46 a week. That was his paycheck. And he ran a crew building houses. And that was his paycheck. And they lived a very nice life on $46 a week. A very nice life. They lived in a nice house in a nice town. He had a brand new – in the – 70s he had a brand new barracuda right off the right off the lot right paid for it in cash and i'm sure they had a nice life i'm sure he was the only source of income too exactly he was the only source of income my grandmother on that side never worked she or or she worked uh before my stepfather was born she sewed the soles on converse shoes she worked at a place called nap shoe and that was what she did for 11 hours a day was sew the soles on shoes. She was a, she was a hardcore older lady. You know what That's I mean? Awesome. But she, you know, she came home. She came home when the kids were born and they did what they did back then, right? She grew food and she canned and she took care of the house in a way that made it sustainable to have one income. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I saw that. That was a product of my childhood. My mother was stay at home. She was off the farm. You know, we had that type of life. It was a traditional family. The man worked, of course. The mother took care of the kids in the household. And it was very productive for everything until the 70s. And all of a sudden in the 70s, you need to have two jobs. That way they can tax two people in the household. The parent does not have authority over the children anymore. You need to trust the state to get them into the school system and get them to these other problems. And both of you parents now are working because one 
person earning a salary and paying taxes is not enough for this debt economy. I saw it play out and it it divided the family. It made the parents feel like they did not need to be parents anymore. And it started breaking that seal of family traditions and heritages and everything. I mean, that's, I, I lived it. And I remember the day my mom went to work the first time and how their marriage changed and our family changed. And it's not a judgment, but you can talk to a million other families in the 70s and it happened to exactly them at the same time. I always call it the decade of divorce because all of pop uh, culture was about divorce, about women and uh, divorce movies. And it was just the sign of the times. It was pop culture. And so there's so many things you can reflect back on and say, man, they're doing the same shit right now, too. I, I completely yeah. reject that dystopia. My wife has been a stay-at-home mom since we had kids, I, and I've worked my ass off to ensure that we're going to make it on one income, and she's going to be here for them. She's going to take care of the house. And, you know, here we are. We're making it happen. And even transitioning off of my fiat job and into a Bitcoin standard now, we're still making it work. Haven't missed a single payment on any of our bills yet. And I'm not going to. I mean, that's badass. I mean, that that isn't that the only solution? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it isn't the only it. solution. But I guarantee you, it's something where you point your damn compass at and say, "Man, I'm going to strive very hard to do that shit." Yeah, you you just you make that decision and you follow through with it, and you do it for the sake of your family because you know they're going to be better for it in the long run. I'm not going to let the schools indoctrinate my children. I'm not going to let them be raised by an iPad. You know, we're, we're going to do this right. And there's a reason all of those family traditions and those family values have been there for so long. And there's so much history in this country that families have gotten through because they were a tight family unit and they had that bond. And that is under attack. There is a war being waged on the family unit right now, and I am not going to succumb to that future. Well, that, meeting LC for the first time, that's one of the reasons I had so much respect for him is his family unit and how he freaking, you know, he loves it. You know, he loves being that father and everything. So, LC, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I owe everything i owe my entire ethos to that uh that man that i just spoke about right where i was speaking about his father uh that man raised me um my biological father was had other things to do we'll say um when i was young and that man raised me and uh you know he was born in the 50s um he was he had a very different uh, view on the world than a lot of my friends' parents when I was growing up. Um, but he took the time to, you know, me and you have talked about it, Slim. He took the time to walk through the woods with me and point out a birch tree and say, hey, peel the bark back. That green flesh underneath is natural aspirin if you ever have a, a headache and you're walking through the woods. and You know, he would teach me all these little things that I kind of thought were silly when I was a kid. Uh, or I didn't realize that the outside world lived any different, right? My my wife comes from a completely different background, right? She lived in a city growing up. Um, 
her family was relatively unhinged. Uh, and I'm not saying anything she wouldn't say. Right. Um, but you know, it was nothing when we were kids for him to give me a backpack with a tent and some MREs and be like, go out in the woods. I'll see you tomorrow. You know, at eight years old, just <laughs> go camp for the night, you know, take your 22 and your knife and go out in the woods and, you know, shoot some squirrels and, and camp for the night. And, you know, I thought it was neat when I was a kid, but it, it taught me so many life skills, uh, that are not common nowadays. And it, I, I make a very concerted effort to do the same thing with my boys, right? I, when we go out and we're working in the garden, you know, it's the easy route is to, like Econo was saying, give my son the, you know, the, I almost called it an iTab because that's what he calls it to give my son the iPad and for us to just go out and, you know, weed the garden or whatever we're doing, but we make sure we take them with us and we put them in the garden. We show them what we're doing. We explain to them what we're doing. We show them what vegetables are right, ripe to pick. You know, I take them every night, not now because it's winter, but in the summertime, I take them every night out with me to, you know, put the goats in for the night and make sure their water is good and make sure their food is good. It's just that sense of responsibility. I feel like that's so lost on on this generation you know my my oldest son uh is 10 and uh my wife is not his mother right i think that's the easiest way to say that so i have him on the weekends um and it's very blatantly obvious to see it in him uh when he misses a week or something coming here and then he comes here you know we have to have a conversation sometimes he's almost 11 years old and i'm like hey remember where you are right now this is not how you act under my roof like you're gonna pick up your shit you're gonna wash your own clothes you know i this past weekend he walked out in the kitchen and he tells my wife i'm hungry and i yelled from the other room make yourself some damn food what do you mean i'm hungry <laughs> the hell does this look like like you're capable i taught you how to scramble an egg i taught you how to run a waffle iron you know there's there's something to be said for that. You know, my wife was talking about it the other day. Her cousin uh, just moved back home from North Carolina. And uh, he's about a decade younger than us. <laughs> and my my wife was like, you know, why don't you do dishes or why don't you, you know, whatever. And he's like, you know, he lives with his mother again. And he's like, honestly, I haven't done dishes since I was a kid, and I don't even know how to do laundry. And I'm like, I like start shaking. I'm like, I can't, I can't handle that. Like you're like twenty something, and you can't do dishes. Like what happened? You know. What I mean? So seeing things like that, I I say that to say, seeing things like that is what motivates me to make sure that like I fully believe my job as a parent is to prepare my kids to be self-sufficient beings, right? When that time comes that they're of age, whatever age they feel that is, that they're ready to spurt out on their own. My job is to prepare them for that moment. So when they walk out the door, they don't go, when I open my drawer, why aren't there clean clothes in it? When I open the fridge, why isn't there food in it, right? If I can, if I can fill in the gaps in between and make them as self-sufficient as possible, I feel like that's the only, that's, the most any parent can wish for, right? 
No, a hundred percent. I mean, that's the, you know, I've, I've been talking with some doctors and, you know, you're, we're seeing the generational changes and you said, you know, somebody in their twenties that they can't do laundry, they can't cook for themselves and everything. Well, a lot of it was, you know, we created entitlement, of course, it was based on convenience, uh, digital devices, babysitting, all that kind of stuff. I've been talking to some doctors and also the food, it's its obvious. I mean, we have uh, teenage boys going to the doctors now in Texas quite often. This is, is not it's not a random thing. Teenage boys are coming in with 200 T cell counts when they should be over a thousand. And that's directly. Testosterone? Yes. Oh, my God. And they're becoming so effeminate that they they they're changing. This doctor told me and this was the doctor and this doctor is very renowned, uh, anonymous, but uh, knows what they are talking about. They said that basically boys right now in that she's seeing in prominent, you know, society that it's not a lack of money or anything like that is they're becoming asexual. And that, you know, this is not, a, you know, something that's just randomly happening. It is definitely going on. And as far as from, you know, the food that we're serving, the soy, everything you eat, you know, the pizza pockets, the chicken tendies, everybody hears me say those two things because that's, you know, what's re- really prevalent state of mind is, you know, you nuke your food, you eat the soy, then you eat it again, and then you eat it again. And if people do not think that this is intentional, you are clueless. And it's not a stab at you, but you need to wake up and start understanding that there is an attack on sovereignty of, you know, masculinity, the man's testosterone, being able to really have that type of intentional lifestyle from nutrition to work ethics to where you can be that father that takes care of that family. And we're losing a generation and they're not being taught this. And, you know, what's cool about the Bitcoin world is that there's young guys out there and they're waking the hell up and they're 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 making some changes, too. I've got some um, people that, I you know, I've met and um, met with in Austin. I've been talking to them for a while and they're very based. And the reason they are is because of guess what? Bitcoin decentralized thought. Yeah, absolutely. it's actually funny you say that my wife. <laughs> My wife went away on uh, to visit her sister for nine days, and she came back, and I had dragged the microwave out and put it on the floor, <laughs> right? Because our microwave is like in the closet. She's like super anti microwave, which is like a great thought when you're like, I'm not gonna use the microwave, and then you're like, Holy shit, I'm literally held prisoner <laughs> by this microwave because I've made myself a prisoner of this microwave. Right. Uh, she came home and she's like, Why is that out? And I'm like, because uh, I just wanted to, like, heat some food up quick. She's like, that's so bad for you. Oh, I'm like, I know. I know. I'm sorry. And I had to, like, you know, shamefully put the microwave back in the closet. But it's just funny that you say that because, like, you don't even you don't even think about it. No, you, well, right? you don't. These things have been so embedded in culture for so, you know, for three decades well, now. I- just nuke your yeah. food and eat and, it. You know, that's the thing that I'm trying, that I'm attempting. It's part of my signal and my, you know, narrative is let's put some low time preference back into our food preparation and to start with, because you have to be intentional about it. Don't make it so damn convenient. Make it something that actually is a skill set. 
that's going to make you stronger and it's going to slow your roll down a little bit and you're not going to be searching that instant gratification. And if you can kind of, it, it takes time, but, you know, intentional living is, is a, you know, is something that pays you back in spades. And people need to start doing it with their food because if we got boys coming in there with 200 T-cell counts, how are they not getting that testosterone? Well, they're trying to kill the freaking protein delivery of this nation. And they're, as I've said, I mean, the marketing plans are out right now. You're seeing full-on attack, like you said, Econo, to, you know, the, the home, to the traditional family home, which was built on strength and food. Yeah, some of the some of the things you mentioned there, like the the low T cell count, the the young boys developing into asexual types, reminds me of this experiment called Universe Twenty Five. Are you familiar with that? I've heard it. I never got deep into it. I, understand. I am not, and I'm usually pretty. <laughs> Tell. Go it, ahead. Universe Twenty Five was this like, it's like this experiment that this dude ran um, with these mice where he basically had this controlled environment for these, for these lab mice. And it was the, the perfect environment for a mouse. There was like infinite food supply, um, perfect temperature, you know, perfectly hygienic and clean for them. Like everything was exactly the ideal of how a mouse could possibly want their environment. And, as the generations of these mice um, developed, the the behaviors of the mice started to change over time through these generations. And the male mice became weak. The female mice uh, became very agitated, and the mice quit having sex. the The whole utopia of this mouse ecosystem broke down until there was nothing left of it. it. It literally destroyed itself. And so this dude ran this test 25 different times and exactly the same behavioral patterns developed and the results were exactly the same every time he ran this test. He did it over a number of years. I call it the... the I've actually talked about this on my podcast a couple of times. Um, I call it the we're heading towards the Wally future. I don't know if you guys have seen Wally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Disney movie or the Pixar movie or whatever, but that's what it is. Everybody's massively overweight. They're in a chair they don't have to get out of. There's a screen right in front of their face, all the food they could ever want. And, you know, they kind of they kind of make it comedic, but there's a serious underlying message there that, like, you know, nobody can read. In this movie, nobody can read because why would you read when things are being read to you? Right. Right. So there's, it's a slippery slope. I saw a post today that, that was really good on Twitter. That was really simple. That said, uh, most people don't read something like this. I'm probably going to butcher it, but most people don't realize that the conveniences you're shopping for are just incremental pieces of your own prison that you're building. And it's so true. Right. Everything you buy that makes your life just a little bit more efficient, a little bit more easy. Right. A little less work that I have to do. Right. This 
Well, it's all stuff to make you. Dependent. Yeah. Even what, what I've tried to tell people and it's hard for people to understand is that we are now the product and basically we are the recycling bin of their waste as far as food is concerned. And they get to engineer it in any way, way that they want to make you less strong more weak, um, less independent, less sovereign, more dependent, more rent seeking. And why wouldn't they, they, they have full control. I mean, they have no problem with doing it anymore. You look at food, there's a company out of there's European, it's a global corporation. It's called DSM. Basically nobody realizes that they made $8 billion last year in profit. And they basically design every taste out there right now it, they can make anything taste any way they want to and that's the driving force to our society right now because you can go up to somebody and say hey man that taco bell is dog food and they'll say well it tastes good <laughs> so you know that and that's once again you know that's rent seeking behavior why why you don't even know what tastes good you don't even have your your taste buds have been hijacked and by them doing that how they're throwing our metabolical you know um systems into bankruptcy right now it's so easy and everybody is 78% of our nation is either obese or overweight. One out of two of us is diabetic or pre-diabetic. 46% of our children, 5 to 11, are now overweight or obese. And, you know, I say that almost on every podcast, and I will keep on saying it, you know, and for the next decade. But it is true, and we have to really look at that. And we, if, if, if people don't understand and be able to reflect all the way back to the 70s, to the 80s, to the 90s, this is not real. This is, I mean, it is real. I'm sorry. This is not normal. This is a short period of time that they've introduced a, a certain amount of chemicals thousands of them into our food supply and our bodies are confused and we have to reassess what is it why do i desire what i desire and once again that's why us bitcoiners have these conversations and i think they're very profound i think they have a lot of legs i think they're going to change a lot of people's lives i just got two real two points real quick on sure on what you just said uh First of all, just because you mentioned Taco Bell, uh, just so it just in case anybody doesn't know that quote unquote meat comes pre-cooked in a bag and they just heat it up in a steam table. Uh, their yeah, their condiments, quote unquote, are in caulking tubes and they put them on with caulking guns. Um, yeah. And the number two point I wanted to make was. <laughs> Just saying, not not just a bit of a humble brag, but the country boys saw this shit coming when your car turned into something you needed to be more of a software engineer to fix than a mechanic. And when they got rid of the dipstick, you knew there was a problem. I'm just saying, <laughs> when a car comes and it doesn't have a dipstick, they're not trying to make it so you can, you know, work on your own stuff. I can't even check my own engine. It, it's it's ridiculous. Oh, I don't need to because the dashboard will light up and tell me when I need to change my oil. What? <laughs> yeah, and from what I what? from what I understand, they they attacked the the farm and the agricultural sector first. They anyone who owns like a John Deere tractor, from what I've been told, uh, you know, you're not allowed to work on your own tractor. Oh no, like not anymore. So no, you you might know better than I do. Like 
Because you, you deal oh, with yeah. people who we, own John Deere's. Well, I was up in North Dakota on harvest this past year. And yeah, I mean, if, if you got, you, you've got some guys that are pretty good, you can hack on things a little bit, but most, most of the time you're, you're, you're hamstrung. You're not getting that John Deere worked on. You got to call a John Deere service technician that corporate sends out and you're at the mercy and he brings his laptop and, you know, satellite, here we go. No, you, you, you can't work on your tractor anymore, you know, and they, even, they can go ahead. Even though you own it, like you bought it, you paid for it. It's your property and, and you can't even like no, you, change. The, yeah. They've implemented some kind of proprietary software yeah, 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 where yeah. you can't actually, you can't. Access and there's some it. things why, you can get around. This is why my stuff is 1950s. Good. There you have it. This is why all my machines are from the fifties. Yep. This is why, you know, I have an old tractor at my old man's house. It's a 1943 Silver King. You got to put lead in the gas. <laughs> you know why I keep that? Because awesome. <laughs> when the EMP goes off, I can still plow my field. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. I get Econo. You talked about you know owning the tractor. Okay, let's talk about a combine that you just spent between probably um, let's say I don't know half a million seven hundred fifty thousand. It just depends, you know. And you you really you know you owe the bill on that right and so if that's the case and it's like it's like uh whenever you're when you're farming you have to have a technology use agreement with a chemical company okay well with john deere then you know you you don't sign that contract when you buy that combine man it's not your combine man it's john deere still right it's wrong it's, a, it's parasitic yeah. <laughs> well it's and the worst part is they don't build anything to last no they of course it would be right. different if they were still building things with real steel but they don't build anything with real no. anything anymore. no they really don't well you, you look at that it's like it's based on debt <laughs> once again it's like okay we're gonna make this damn uh, combine for half a million dollars, but it's not going to last that long. And we're going to devalue the shit out of it. Probably get into another country, make it to where it will kind of work in another country. And then we're going to come in with a new fleet of crap that you have to sign a new contract on. And here we go. And it's just, you know, it's basically it's, it's with that in the agricultural field, as you say, Conos. So it's there, it's prevalent. It's the manifestation it's of fiat. Yes, it's sad. It, it, there was a time, and I'm probably going to catch a lot of shit for saying this, but I love saying things that do that. So, <laughs> Go for it, please. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was a time when it made a difference if you bought a John Deere or you bought a Cub Cadet or you bought a Chevy or you bought a Ford or you bought a Dodge. Guess what? That time's gone. It's all shit. Everything they make is shit. It's all way overpriced for what it is. You're paying for the the electronic end of it and the technology gadgets they put in it. They've lost they've lost the plot. They've lost the plot on a pickup truck. They've lost the plot. When you buy a pickup truck and it can't haul a pallet of wood pellets, but it's got massaging seats and a 19-inch TV in the dashboard, they've lost the plot. <laughs> it's no longer – a pickup truck is no longer – you know, you can look at it in simple things. Like you used to go to the dealership to buy, we'll say, an F-150, right? 
you would go to the dealership and buy an F-150 and you would start off with a truck that had cloth seats, roll down windows, uh, push down locks, right? Now you can't even, the very base model will not come with push down locks or crank down windows, right? Unless you're buying a commercial vehicle. They've completely lost the plot on what these things are supposed to do. That goes for tractors, that goes for, you know, I'm in construction, I deal with a lot of guys in construction, that goes for excavators, that go, I know guys that have excavators from the 70s and 80s that are still running strong, and the guys that are starting up today and buying a brand new excavator, and they're blowing hydraulic pistons and blowing pins every six months. The shear pins have gone from a thing that is supposed to save you money to, to that's all they do is shear. They just break all the time. They've, they've completely lost the plot when it comes to producing a decent machine, producing something that a hardworking man can go out and spend his hard-earned money on and have something that he can depend on. Right? You used to be able to buy a truck and know that if you took care of that truck, that truck would take care of you. Those days are gone. Those days are gone. You can take care of that truck all you want. But if you buy a $90,000 diesel, by the way, who the fuck can afford a $90,000 diesel? And you treat it right and the brain goes in it, the the computer brain goes in it, you're done. You might as well buy another truck. Twenty five grand to get that thing replaced. Right. Well, that's such true. Where it's, where is that based around people who need it? It's it's engineered obsolescence. You know, they don't they don't want you to buy something once and have it last you a lifetime. They want you to consume and consume and consume. And it's just, it's straight manifestation of fiat. hundred percent. I mean, stack of non-value on top of stack of non-value and, um, you know, bringing up the cars, you know, I saw a meme and it was, um, miles and miles of car, you know, car, uh, trucks, car stacked up. And they said, this is why they want to put a kill switch in your car. And they do have plans to put kill switches in your car. And absolutely. And, and that is just is anybody that can rationalize and justify why they would want a car that had a kill switch in it. And they would believe it's because for the safety of your car not getting stolen. That is clown show, man. That is clown world 101 right there. Yeah, it's it's insane. You know, what, what is the saying? Like people who trade some freedom for some security deserve neither. Sure. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson, baby. There you have it. But it's, it, and it's, I don't want to, I don't want that statement that I made about vehicles and machines to feel like it's pigeonholed, right? Because that's just, I'm, I'm just trying to use that as an example. It's everywhere. Well, everywhere, you know where it's not yet, but where it will be soon is in in the Bitcoin mining industry. And I think part of the regulations that are going to come down that we didn't touch on is the environmental aspect of it. And I do foresee a time when they try and push some sort of like energy star labeling system on these ASICs and they have some sort of regulatory body. Maybe it's the EPA that like audits this stuff and comes up with the sunsets and the requirements that if you're a ESG compliant miner, all of your hardware is going to be efficient with X rating. And 
once you hit a certain point, there's going to be a new rating standard. And if you want to replace any equipment in your mining fleet, you have to be compliant with the new rating standard. And so they're, they're going to like inject fiat into the mining system that way. And they're going to completely ruin that industry. And to your point earlier, LC, I think that's how you're going to see a massive drop in hash rate someday is because they're going to have some asinine energy star label type uh, regulation choke holding the mining industry and it, it's gonna it's 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 really gonna throw things off course in my opinion it's a simple thing to see coming too when you can do something when you can put it in the the context of well each miner can only use so many watts because so many watts produce so many btus of heat and we have a global warming epidemic on our hands. Uh, so you can't be producing that much heat because you're literally heating the planet. Uh, so it's really important to be good for the planet that you don't secure the network. That's, that's, it's not a long stretch to see that, especially when last year we already saw the talk of ESG compliant Myers, uh, you know, green blocks uh not going to mine any blocks that aren't stamped green not going to mine any transactions that aren't stamped green um you know people laughed it off and were like oh ho, ho, this is bitcoin but when you have a statistic like 40 percent of the network hash rate could be owned could potentially be owned by publicly traded companies something like that becomes very real right you know, regulators can come in and throw a padlock on the door and shut your service off and say, you can have your miners back when you're compliant. And I'm not talking about just hosting services. I'm talking about people like Riot Blockchain, Hut8, uh, Marathon Patent Group, people like this who are stacking huge amounts of hash rate. They do some shit like that. And if you think they can't do it because, oh, they're publicly traded companies, Look a little deeper because there's some people with some really deep pockets that own pieces of these companies. They are more than happy to watch the ESG narrative play out and let the stuff sit offline if they think it will make them more money 10 years from now. The same reason BlackRock was buying a billion dollars in houses every day at the peak of the, of the pandemic. Same situation. They're not buying those because people are going to rent now. They're writing off your rent for not paying your rent. They're buying that so that everybody has to rent from then 10 years from now. So true. And the one thing that's not discussed enough, and it's going to happen because there's hundreds and hundreds, billions of dollars invested in this phrase, carbon credit economy. And it's coming. And there, the deals have already been made all the way from food to energy to EPA, everything. And so you you want to talk about a backdoor that people don't understand that they're going to use some level of enforcement upon you as a citizen. Oh, it's happening. And if you're not aware yeah. of it, then you're going to be trapped by it. Yeah, you're going to. Yeah, I mean, we start we start with that uh, that bill, right? The infrastructure mm -hmm. bill when they started. I think it was Marty that was, was talking about the things that were hidden in the infrastructure yep. bill with. Something asinine, like $9,000 a head for beef if you have cattle. That was just like penciled in. Oh, by the way, you're warming up the planet because you're cow farts. 
So it's a $9,000 tax bill every year per per animal. I saw ranchers posting about it saying they were going to owe obscene amounts of money every year, millions of dollars. And that's what they do. They threaten something asinine like that, and everybody freaks out, and it's like, oh, and it it doesn't happen. They say, oh, okay, well, they didn't do the $9,000. Well, well, they they snuck some stuff in there where you weren't paying attention, and it's still going to make the cow a carbon hazard. And then if you eat that cow, then you're a a horrible citizen. And that's how they're going to approach this. And you're like, you're not buying the right products. You're not playing that stakeholder capitalism game, you know, up to par and so you're going to be putting a a different type of hedge fund here so you're a bad citizen and it's it's the same way they did with the housing market in 2008 with those mortgage backed securities everything that they did with the the mortgage loans you were either shitty or good or whatever well they learned a lesson from that and they're going to definitely make sure that they get some profit off you in the future by you owning nothing it's they've admitted it and there's just so many different ways that they're going to be able to enforce it and like i said create those back doors of uh not people not understanding how it's coming and all of a sudden you're trapped you know, and they're doing it with smart meters on electrical meters throughout the United States where, hey, if you're not, you know, playing the game right, we're going to turn your air conditioner off because you're a bad citizen. Oh, but you are saving the planet. And if, it, if that if people don't think that that's going to come towards uh, yeah. the, the 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 miners and everything full circle here, Econo and Elsie, you know, this is this is how they're going to come after it. So your points are proven. I'm going to reject that dystopia till the day I die, man. Of course. I mean, we don't <laughs> have to participate. That's And that's one thing I always tell everybody. He's like, yeah, this sounds like shit. But no, it's actually a, it's a gift to, to be able to say, hey, I'm just going to plan for this. No matter what happens, right. you know, we're going to be okay. And it's something that, you know, you can have confidence in. And this this should be a wonderful time for us. And I think it's going to be, you know, this decentralization of, you know, the ethos that we're living in, that we're all trying to innovate in and we're trying to build and we're trying to really create those legacies. It's exciting. You know, I'm having a great time. I have not done anything except for 13 months of doing what I'm doing. I have not made any fiat in like over a year, a little bit, but not much. And I'm I'm the best I've ever been. You know, you're talking about a $6 bank account. You know, I stack hard. If I get extra, man, I'm putting, I'm putting in, right? And then, you know, I have some really good leverage right now because I know some cool people. And, you know, I've been, I have not had my name on a house or on a lease in two years now. And you want to talk about being a freaking gypsy and innovating i'm getting pretty damn creative and i'm gonna see this shit through and we're gonna get bigger and we're gonna get stronger and there's gonna be a day that all of us are going damn right man we were doing we were on the right track so there's a lot of positivity going on that's awesome dude more power to you hell yeah i just uh emerged from the mark myself you could say yeah this uh when I bought this house, it was the first time I showed up on paper in 10 years. <laughs> no leases. That feels no, good. No utility bills. That shit feels no good. Yeah, that feels good. I did some deep diving into me just to see what I look like. I show up on two W-2s in the last 
15 years and they're really not all that impressive. And I was pretty happy with myself. I was like, okay, cool. So <laughs> it's a good way to be awesome. right now. That goes back to, that goes back to, uh, that also connects to the way that I was raised. Yeah. Right. That same man that taught me all those great skills also taught me from a young age that the state hates you. <laughs> the government hates you. Don't get it twisted. You think they, you know, they, they propagandize it in a way that makes it look like they care about you, but the state hates you. And my, my entire childhood, all the way up till I was 18, when he moved away, um, you know, his, his whole thing was your, your goal in life should be figuring out how to escape this system. Like how, you know, he used to say something to me that that a lot of people laugh at, and it's, it was that retirement is not about stacking a certain amount of money. Retirement is about figuring out which luxuries you can live without. Because when you can start crossing luxuries off, you can live a much freer life. And he lived the last 11 or 12 years of his life before he passed away in a, on a piece of property in Maine with no cable. He had electricity. I think his power bill was like $11 a month. He had propane fucking lights on the walls. He had a well outside that he got buckets of water out of. He was a mountain man. But that being said, he got to live 12 years of freedom. How many people off the top of your head can you think of that get to live 12 years of freedom? He got to wake up in the morning and say, he used to call me, right? He would call me every single Sunday. He called me every single Sunday for a decade. He never missed a Sunday just to call me and see how I was doing. And uh, I remember talking to him more than once and I'd be like, hey, what are you going to do today? And he was like, I don't know, sitting on the ramp to the barn right now. I, I might, wa might watch the squall roll in this afternoon. Um, I don't know, maybe go down to the fridge and get a beer. Other than that, I don't really have any plans for the day. This was the life that man lived for 12 years. That is my dream. I want to get to that. Uh, Slim, we have a friend in common, Bubba. Mm -hmm. Hey, Bubba. Who, I, I talked to him quite a bit. Yes. Yeah, Bubba. And uh, that's the life I want, man. I just want that life of being able to be free. I want to set myself up in a position and teach, you know, help my family to get to a place where we live the most, you know, we talk about sovereignty, to live this sovereign, self-reliant life for a lot of reasons, but one of the most important reasons being to escape this shit system, to be able to just wake up and think about what I'm going to teach my boys today. Right. That's, I, I'm so envious of where Econo is at right now. Like <laughs> you, you get to just wake up and like say, you know, what am I going to do with my family today? If more people had that, we would be able to create the next generation of a much higher quality people much higher well and we're doing it right now i mean i feel it i i left last tuesday or wednesday from uh the panhandle of texas all the way down to austin and you know i always make reservations if i have to i have people in austin and sometimes you know people have plans whatever um but I had reservations in Austin, although I stayed in a place called uh, Mason, Texas. I usually stay in Yano, Texas. I'll stay in a place called Zephyr, Texas, just because I'm looking at geography. I'm uh, looking at the ranches. I was, you know, ch checking out processing centers, facilities. So I have a lot of different things that I'm doing on the road. Time I got to Austin, I had to have no reservations. 
I had met new people that welcomed me into their homes and um, it wasn't suspect. It was very intentional. It was something that's like, this is going to be how we basically create a new lifestyle that's badass, is that we're, we're, we're welcoming each other into a, our homes. And we're saying, man, I really want to know you or, and I want to help you. Can I help? And, you know, I, I met with Adam Curry this week in uh, Kerrville, Texas, because we're having a big beef initiative conference there, uh, April 23rd and 24th. And he's going to be one of the speakers there. Marty's going to be one of the speakers there. We're going to bring a couple of ranchers there, medical, nutrition. Um, you know, I'm going to get some people talking about mining. Uh, we're going to have some financial advice for ranchers when the Bitcoin world is it's going to be pretty badass. And just by me having that conversation, with a few people, man, I have new friends that I'll have for the next freaking 50 years. And it was real simple because we're letting each other into our lives and we want to be friends and we want to help each other. It is such a cool feeling right now. I'm on vacation every damn day of my life from here on out. You're such a rebel, Slim. This is exactly the kind of behavior that's discouraged by the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> and I wonder why. I wonder why they designed it like that. Yeah, well, you know, it is. You're destroying your social credit I know. score. I, I don't even know. I, I don't even know what my credit score is, to tell you the truth. I'll be honest, man. I haven't checked that shit in years. I bet it's horrible, and I don't really care. I don't need it. I've, I, I know how to survive. It's not that I'm bad or anything. I just don't pay attention to it. I don't use it. I haven't used credit. In years. I don't know what it is, really, to tell you the truth. So I'm not out there getting a ninety thousand dollar diesel right now on credit. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they made a decent diesel, you'd still be able to own one you bought twenty well, years ago. But they ain't made anything that doesn't rot into the ground. Since let's the have some fun here. Whenever I was growing up, I like telling stories. Everybody knows that we had this damn diesel, and it was a Dodge diesel, and it was kind of a, one of my friends that I, you know, grew up with. That we did a little cowboy with, hunting with. We did everything together. They had a '78 Dodge diesel, and it was just a two seater, and it had a cowboy sleeper on it. And if I wish I had that diesel, we put over a million miles on that thing over a couple of decades. And that thing never broke. You couldn't kill it. And it just went and it went and it went. And that was the funnest truck I've ever been a part of. It was a first gen Cummins. They're like 198 horse, 300 foot pounds of torque. You could pull a house you right know. off the foundation. <laughs> I, I figured you would know what that was, Elsie. <laughs> So if I can, no turbo, if I can find a 78 man. diesel. Yeah, no turbo right? either. No, those things, you couldn't break them. You know, they just lasted forever. So, you know, I think we can get back there. It's fun to talk about it. It's fun to go through the, all these small towns in Texas. It's fun to meet people. Um, you know, I think that we're on the, the, the cusp of this year being something like a breakout year within Bitcoin, we hope. Um, I think the tide is changing a little bit as far as the, the COVID narrative marketing plan, but it's going to shift into something else. We all know that. It's not a time to really take a deep breath and saying, oh, it's all over. No, it's just, it's just a new phase. So what do you guys see coming down the pipe this year? Dude, I, I think, yeah, you, I think it's like the eye of the storm. Like, I don't know what they have up their sleeve next, but it does feel like some pressure has been being taken off of the like pandemic narrative. 
Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know if that's a good thing. I, I don't know. I, I just have concerns about what comes next. It, it is a good thing because, um, you know, the, I think the pandemic is complete bullshit and it was all by design and it was all for ulterior motives. Um, so it, it's like a phase one of a multi-phase plan and I, I don't know what's up their sleeve, but I, I know, you know, some words that have been thrown around are like the cyber pandemic, um, social credit scores, central bank digital currencies. I think I think all that stuff kind of plays in together into what's coming next. And um, I would just advise anyone who values freedom to really start looking at some of the tools that are available to safeguard their privacy. And I think that's going to be a really important fight in everyone's individual lives in in the near future yeah i agree 100 percent. i mean i think um you know from a financial standpoint bitcoin 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 and more bitcoin um you know figuring out uh the privacy aiding tools in the space figuring out what works best for you, do your research, do your research, do your research. I personally um, use Samurai Wallet uh, for a mobile wallet, along with a few others. Uh, but for privacy stuff, I use Samurai. Um, but, you know, in no way, shape or form is that an, right? I'm not trying to chill anybody Samurai. I, I would much rather, let me put it like this. I would much rather somebody else go and do their own research, read as many articles as they can get their hands on, get all the facts in front of them and make a decision for themselves, then just go out and download something and use it because you heard somebody like me or Econo say it was good. Right? It's very important to know why something works. Just It's the same idea as what you were talking about, Slim, right? Well, that Taco Bell is dog food. Well, it tastes good. Well, so-and-so said it works. That doesn't work when we're talking about, uh, you know, staunch personal responsibility. That involves much more than I saw on Twitter that it works. Right. It involves doing putting in the proof of work so that you understand what you're talking about and you understand why something works or why something doesn't work. So taking care of your personal privacy using the tools that are available to you in the space as far as bitcoin is concerned as far as outside of bitcoin grow some food man grow some damn food i know people that live in fucking manhattan that have a garden you have no excuse grow some damn food it is not that hard you don't need a lot of land find you know raise some protein and if you can't raise it source it locally find somebody local right if you find a guy that's a cattle ranch or find a guy that just raises a couple head of beef they're much i have found in my experience they're they would much rather sell it to you being somebody who's local than have to worry about finding somebody outside you know two or three towns over to sell it to or a farmer's market to sell it at they would much rather you show up at their front doorstep and say hey can i buy a quarter of a cow off you or, you know, what do you have? They would much rather sell it to you because it's easier for them, right? 
So doing stuff like that, sourcing local food, growing your own damn food, taking care of your personal finances. Um, as far as what's coming down the pipe, I think if you set yourself up right, what's coming down the pipe is kind of irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I have that conversation almost every day. I just say, hey, so what if it doesn't happen? I'm going to be better off. So and I'm having fun and this is going to save my family in ways that they don't understand yet that they'll understand in the long term. You know, as far as uh, everything that's transpired, you're talking about sourcing food. Um, we launched the Beef Initiative website. We are live now and we are selling beef with uh, the capability of buying it with Bitcoin. We were there and the orders are flowing right now and people are hitting it. And going back to localization, we're starting with like beef boxes. If you don't have access to your rancher, well, you can come to the beef initiative now and you can you know source it in Bitcoin. Or if you don't want to spend your Bitcoin, you can use your fiat and everything. But what we're doing is we're bringing ranchers on, we're letting them tell their story so the Bitcoiners can come and find them in those local communities. So I'm asking everybody that's in the Bitcoin world, if you're using somebody and you want to help them out, put them in our database, come to the Beef Initiative website and go into a section called producers and, and brag about your producer, brag about your rancher, tell their story. They need to have that exposure. They need to educate. They, they need to be able to educate us and we need to be able to educate them on Bitcoin. This is how we start doing this. We help each other out. We first go to them and say, man, teach me everything, you know, and I'm going to teach you some stuff as well. I want to support you. I want to educate you as well. I want to help you raise your children just as you're helping me raise my children. This is very intentional that what we're asking people to do to be a part of the beef initiative so you can source your food locally right now some people are going to have to order it across the united states well come to the beef initiative and get your damn beef and you know this is a this is going to be a slow road process this is iteration but we're having a lot of success and it's about to really kind of pick up and i want everybody to come in and start thinking about sourcing your food you need to find avenues to your pure animal protein because it's about to happen beef prices everybody's you know everybody bitches about it on twitter well we've been saying this for a long time guess what the price hasn't even started to rise yet and i will bank on that this is not going to get any better and if you don't have local access or access through somebody that's kind of vetted and trusted and verified in the end then you know come to the beef initiative and let's create a movement to where all of us bitcoiners and anybody else out there in the world can eat animal protein and have it for their children because these food shortages the the stilling of the protein the lowering of the testosterone all of it's real and so that's what i'm saying for this next 2022 this year is let's turn some food intelligence let's get into the beef initiative let's do this as a bitcoin group because this is the reason this is happening is because of bitcoin and so let's save the freaking beef industry and let's save some you know some some family values and some heritage and let's build some legacies so you let me know when you want to come to Rhode Island. Oh, definitely. I'm going to I'm gonna be touring across the United States. I told you about the conference. We're having one in Kerrville. We're going to have one in Colorado. I've got my eyes on one in Georgia, maybe one in Virginia, and hopefully one in Florida. And they're going to be 
big, I mean, big, whatever, say they're going to have an impact because we're bringing basically everything that we've been talking about this hour. We're going across the country and doing it and it's happening and that's going to be very exciting. So we're about to release the, you know, everything that we're going to do in Kerrville. And once we have that kind of that groundwork and we have all that kind of foundation of how we're going to present these conferences, I think we're going to start getting a lot of traction. So we're definitely need to come up to the Northeast for sure. That's exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you, man. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to get, I'm going to get you guys speaking at one of these if I can. So, I mean, you're on my list and we'll talk about that more. It, more things will start transpiring. We just now launched and um, we're, we're, we really decreased the friction as far as me being able to basically buy decentralized food with Bitcoin right now. It is happening right now as we're doing. I'm sure I could look at the database right now and see an order come through right now. So you guys hit on that. Go check it out. It's beefinitiative.com. Play around with it. And there's going to be some iterations, but it looks pretty clean. So So that's awesome. We've been talking to some local farmers around here trying to figure out how we can sell our eggs we got mm-hmm. uh, one rancher down the street that's got three goats reserved for us for the spring. We're going to bring the goats onto our property. And then um, we're trying to find one around here. We know we know they're around. We just haven't talked to them yet because we need to get a freezer first. But sure. um, we're going we're gonna to find someone down the street that will sell us half a cow. The people we've already been talking to said they're right there. More than happy to to hook us up so man if you can find someone that uses bitcoin that'd be even better yeah i mean we're you got a guy in colorado don't you that's slim don't you have yeah, a guy got, in colorado? I've got somebody in colorado uh for sure i mean i got several people in colorado somebody in virginia got too, virginia right? i've got colorado um got texas of course and uh well yeah <laughs> i was just trying to clear the other states for the people sure. who are listening where else like you you had yeah. some you know, what we can look forward to. Actually, we're, I think we have a database right now that I'm not releasing, but what I want to do is get the Bitcoiners to build the database up front. You guys get first dibs saying, Hey, this is who I use. Let's help support them. And then once we get that, some, you know, some good numbers in that database, just in this beginning, then we'll do the national beta database. That'll be pretty solid and so all of this is coming where you'll come to the beef initiative and you'll be able to find somebody and you'll be able to track it down and give the story and say you know hey i went out there and shook their damn hand and i bought a half a cow off of them i get somebody telling me that every day now and that's pretty you know maybe not a half maybe a quarter or maybe you know a subscription that they know that they got beef for the next year it's happening and there's some people that are being very solid about it and they're very being very intentional and they're showing a lot of proof of work. And one thing that I found out in Austin, I didn't want to miss this, is I met somebody and we had a discussion and I'm going to bring him out and we're going to have a podcast together. But he's going to basically go to any rancher that wants to know more about how they can leverage Bitcoin and start, you know, creating their legacy, saving their legacy. We're going to white glove them into Bitcoin and we're going to give them a concierge service and we're going to teach them from not knowing a damn thing about it to being as, as, as savvy as they can for as long as it takes. And I know there's a lot of Bitcoiners that will jump on that bandwagon with us and really help us orange pill some of these ranchers because they want to know. They just don't know where to start. Yeah, dude, if 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 new people to Bitcoin love doing anything, it's talking about Bitcoin. Hell yeah. 
<laughs> you know, and, and like I said before, you find some rancher that's been doing this shit for 40, you know, four generations and then his father did it for four generations. They're going to come up with something in the Bitcoin world that's going to really innovate our food. And, you know, we're going to do it in tandem with them. And this is going to be fun. This is going to be a hell of a educational year. <laughs> so that's why these conferences are very important. You know, we're going to combine two classes of cultures of people that, you know, I was talking to Cole Bolton down there in Austin and I've been saying it from day one. I said, man, these ranchers always been decentralized. And I believe Cole said it on Marty's show. He goes, man, we already live a decentralized life. I'm, I'm really understanding this Bitcoin and they will, they're going to go, Oh shit. I didn't know what this was about. And right. th man, this is, this will be a fun uh, orchestration that we pull off because it's going to happen. It is happening, actually. I'll have to uh, add my yeah. the guy that I source from onto your website. I plugged in uh, Zach from Foundation Devices with him, and Zach ended up buying a boatload of beef off. There you have it. But uh, I actually found a new connection today, Slim. I was thinking of you at lunchtime. I bumped into a buddy of mine who owns a small construction company in town, and um, haven't seen him in a couple of years. He raises beef. And uh, I got a line on eight-month-old Black Angus for three fifty dollars a head. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, more, you know, that you just made me uh, remind me of something. Um, I had discussions with a couple of ranchers, and one in particular, and I'll hold off right now, but uh, the one one person, one rancher, of course, you hear me talk about is Cole Bolton. Him and I have been talking. We're going to this year, and hopefully by the end of the year, we're going to allow, because not every Bitcoiner can be a rancher. Not every Bitcoiner can own land. We're going to make it to where you come through the beef initiative. You, if you want a couple of cows and you want to work through a rancher and have him basically help raise your cow, you fit, you know, you pay, you, you keep in touch with your rancher and everything. You're going to be able to source cows through the beef initiative. Now we've got an on ramp and we're, we're developing that plan. So, you know, there's all, there's That's step badass. approach to this that everybody can be involved, man. If you want to own 10 cattle, you're going to be able to buy 10 cattle through the beef initiative. That's going to be pretty powerful. And Dude, as, we're awesome. do, as we're doing this processing, we're going to be a big player in the processing consultation department when it comes to opening up processing plants. And so we're going to start creating these nodes of processing plants too. We're starting in Texas. We've already had two to three successful launches. Cole's uh, just laid his foundation for his processing down there in central Texas. Whenever we have processing plants, you can source cattle through the beef initiative and you can create a relationship with the rancher. You are your own food supply now. And we're going to make that happen. And um, that was what, what the, the Austin trip was so beneficial. That's huge. Sourcing animals. You think sourcing beef is uh -huh. hard, man. Sourcing animals. Especially like the way you said it, having uh, like reputable sources in one place. Like here I can source animals, right? I, there's a livestock auction 45 right. minutes away. But I don't know if Larry, that's bringing the that's bringing the cattle to the livestock auction, what he's doing with that cattle before he exactly. gets there. 
right? There isn't a cow store right next to Walmart in the nearest city. So like, you know, it's, it's awesome to see something coming together where there'll be people who are vetted that you can say, all right, I know what I'm getting. Right. Well, and that's so true. And this is how we're fighting this bullshit, this regenerative crap. You know, when Al Gore is talking about regenerative farming and ranching, there's a freaking problem with regenerative farming and ranching. They're coming after it. You know, they're trying, they're going to hijack the narrative here. And how they do that is digitize the damn cow. And that's what they're trying to do as far as tracking devices, you know, saying, hey, we know that this cow was born this day and it was fed this and watered this and all that kind of crap. And we've got the digitized blockchain, you know, we've got it all tracked from very, you know, all the way to your plate. And that's how they're going to try to say that that's how your food has to be known as safe. And that's bullshit is what it is because it has nothing to do with safety. It has to do with everything, control of the market, the beef industry and as a whole well guess what we've got a solution here you know we're not going to bitch about you guys we're just going to be better than you because we've got a system where you know that rancher and you know that he's going to take care of you and you'll hear from his mouth how good that damn beef is and you'll be able to trust him because he's gone through basically a system of um don't trust but verify we do that with the way we think in the decentralized ethos of bitcoin yeah, you, you route around those blockades. Exactly. I mean, that's what we're going to do. I mean, that's the solution because all of this that we talk about is going to happen, but that's fine. And, you, you know, Econo, I heard two or three people say that exact thing after I spoke with them in Austin. We're just going to route around now. And that's that's yep. the fun part. Let's play a game of chess here. And we're fine because we have the intelligence. We have the, the know-how. If we don't, we figure it out. So everybody out yeah. there kind of jump on board to everything we're saying tonight. And let's start really sending that signal strong. It's like, yeah, we've got this covered. Yeah. You the funny thing is if if you can shift whatever it is you do, right? If you build houses or you raise cattle or you you know, you mine Bitcoin for a living, whatever it is that you do, if you can lower your time preference and create a quality product it's no longer a competition it's just it's game theory it's a matter of time mm -hmm. right if i put out a far superior product but it takes me a little bit longer it's the same thing as going to denny's or going to a really nice mom and pop breakfast spot where it takes it might take 15 minutes to get your plate of food but your 15 minute plate of food tastes a hell of a lot better than the lukewarm five minute plate of food that you get at the chain restaurant it's the same thing. It's inevitable. If you can create a better product consistently, no matter what you're doing, I don't even need to be in competition with the guy who's creating nope. garbage because I'm, time will run its course. People are going to want something that's better. And that's about to happen. You know, I said we become our own food supply supplier because once we have that right. quality going through the processing centers that are going on in texas the micro processing centers that serve the communities and the localization you can't compete with that quality and once we come at them as far as being a consulting like arm of processing centers across texas say hey united you know the state government 
federal government. We have precedents here of processing centers that you cannot say that cannot pass. We have that intelligence. And so we, we've got the blueprints. We've got the, we've got the, the studies. We've got everything that you guys actually probably don't even know because your inspectors probably aren't as good as we are. And that's, I think we've got the team to be able to do that now. And once we start setting that precedence, it's like, it is game theory. It's like, you guys go ahead and do whatever you're going to do. We're way ahead of you. You're going to come to us. We're, we are the new rule of law now. You just don't understand it. There's a lot of power in that. You'll have plenty of people. Yeah. <laughs> you'll have plenty of uh, the guys that are singing soy praises behind the curtain using a NIM and Bitcoin to buy a nice grass-fed beef from you guys after telling all the everybody else to buy their soy burger. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's going to happen. And this is, this is, you know, this is how we win. And that's why I got into food. It's like, where do we start? I have to start with the source of the seed. We have to start with nutrition. If we don't have nutrition, man, we don't have shit. It doesn't matter, it matter how much Bitcoin you have if you're having to eat down 22 pizza pockets every day just to say, <laughs> keep your whatever, your dopamine going and everything pumping, you know, you're screwed. That that Bitcoin don't mean shit. It, you know, you, you know, you need to get back to your food and understand what food is. Absolutely. Listen, you yeah. guys, I'm, uh, I'm out of time. I was I got about to one. say, Elsie, uh, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you through your podcast and any other information as far as your handle or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Elsie uh, Hoddle Two. Uh, the podcast is also on Twitter at the BC Pleb. Um, it's the Blue Collar Plebcast on. Oh man, if you use regular legacy system stuff, I'm on Spotify, I'm on um, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. And then, of course, as our boy Adam Adam Curry likes to talk about, all the 2.0 apps, um, Breeze. Um, we're hosted now through BitcoinTV.com, which is really freaking Yeah, congratulations cool. on all that, uh, by the way. Congratulations on getting that you know set up. Yeah, so reach out to us, uh, you know, give us a listen. We got an episode with Slim and two episodes with Econo. There so. you have it. <laughs> yeah. Go hit Blue Collar up. All right, Elsie, thanks. How about you, Econo? Same. How can everybody find all your masterful work? I, I'm most active on Twitter. My handle's at Econo Alchemist. You can also check out my blog, EconoAlchemist.com. And I, too, have a channel on Bitcoin TV. It's called The Hashcast which is a short podcast for home miners that uh, airs every 2016 blocks at the time of the difficulty adjustment. Thanks, guys. Thank you for being on. Uh, for my little plug, beefinitiative.com. Go get some beef with some Bitcoin. Guys, be cool. We'll be seeing you. We'll be talking to you. And um, I appreciate you coming on, man. Hey guys, Texas Slim here again. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, everybody that's been along for the ride. Formal announcement, we have launched the Beef Initiative, beefinitiative.com. We are now selling beef with Bitcoin, and we're inviting all local ranchers across the United States to come join us. Contact us, add yourself into the producer section of the Beef Initiative, Reach out anytime. All plebs, 
if you're losing using a local producer, let's get them into the beef initiative. Let's learn how they do their business. Let them educate us so we can educate them. To my friend and my partner, Cole Bolton, KNC Cattle. Cole and Michael have been doing a bang up job. They're down in Austin. You've heard them, you've seen them. Now let's support them. Beef Initiative is going strong. Stay tuned, much more to come. Peace. <laughs>